Hello! Welcome to another episode of the DM's Deep Dive. I'm Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com, and today I am here with James Hake. James, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm James Hake. I'm the co-author of Waterdeep Dragon Heist, the Critical Role Tal'Dorei campaign setting, uh, and a bunch of other cool D&D stuff. Uh, I'm a DM for a D&D show that I run on YouTube called Worlds Apart, and Mike, I'm super happy to be on the show. Oh, I'm super happy to have you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your work. You're one of the shooting stars that I've seen that just, you know, exploding all over the place. I think, uh, what, what did I, I had, I had like a new Hake, a new Hake law, which was like any new product that's coming out, there's a 40% chance that you wrote it. You know? so You're too kind. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to, uh, well, and you also edit my articles on D&D Beyond. So I have to be nice a, a little bit. Right, or you'd be like, "Yeah, I'll tell you that's theater of the mind." Let me say some theater of the mind stuff in here. Right. Thank you for that. Totally you and I, you and I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Todd Kendrick, right, over at uh, when we were at Origins this year, right? Yeah, that was fantastic. I think that was the first uh, bit that you and I had ever been on together. Yeah, and I got to corner you at a bar at Gen Con and chat with you for a while. So. Well, that was fantastic. I mean, any chance to chat gaming with you is a good time. Right, right. But people aren't here to hear about how you and I run into each other at conventions. Um, so I wanted to have you on the show in particular because of your work on Dragon Heist and uh, particularly to talk about running city-based adventures. Yes. Uh, so that's, that, is our, that is the topic into which we will dive deep here on the DM's Deep Dive. Uh, and uh, I always like to, sh to start with uh, a, a sort of top three questions. In your case, I have two uh, sets of top three questions. Yeah. So we'll start with what are, your, what are your top three tips in general for running city-based adventures? That's a really good question. City-based adventures are really totally different in scope and preparation from normal D&D adventures. Um, mostly because a city has so much more structure than the wilderness. Um, I mean, there's the obvious one. I mean, there, there are roads, there's a, a grid in Waterdeep, much like in New York. You can't just wander willy-nilly. You can't walk through someone's living room. I mean, I guess you could. <laughs> Yes, yeah. you can walk through someone's I living room. I think in your walk. adventure, you end up walking through some people's living rooms. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and this brings us to the first thing, if you do that sort of thing, you'll have the city watch on your tail uh, in a New York minute. Um, and that brings us to the very first point, is that the there are laws. There are rules that are imposed upon your characters, uh, not just uh, by the, the dungeon master and sort of their their alignment or morality, but uh, you have to obey by the laws of Waterdeep. And that, that alone makes Waterdeep not just a setting, but it kind of makes it a character. It makes it a player in the game. Uh, it's sort of a, a, a meta character that encompasses many different people and roles, but the city and its many wards have distinct personalities and behaviors. And if you, if you mess with Waterdeep, Waterdeep will mess with you. <laughs> you, have got, to, you have to. You've got a lot mind. of tools to mess you mess you up with too. Oh my God! Yeah, and <laughs> and I think uh, there's a good balance to be struck there because if you as a DM are too punitive with Waterdeep's uh, tools of messing you up, your players will start to resent you, and they'll start to resent the city. They'll be like, "Let's, let's get out of here." I mean, we I can't. This place. Let's go back to Daggerford. Yeah, or, or can we go back to the, the Tomb of Horrors or something? Right. I just wanna, if, I, if I'm going to get my teeth kicked in, at least I want to do it in an ancient tomb. 
Okay. Yeah. The, the nice thing is you are not far from an ancient tomb in Waterdeep. You just yes. find a hole and crawl into it and you'll probably end up 23 levels below. <laughs> and that's and that's the joy of the whole Waterdeep saga that Wizards came out with is that, you know, when Chris Perkins and James Intercasso and I were talking about Dragon Heist, we were talking a lot about, well, what if the players don't want to be in the city for very long? there was kind of this baseline assumption that after about five levels of adventuring, the length of Dragon Heist, they'll kind of be done with it for a little while and they'll want to go somewhere else. I mean, you look at the last city-based adventure uh, that we had, and it was like the first chapter of Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, you got into Port Nyansaru and you were champing at the bit to get into the jungles of Cholt and to get into the tomb. Um, once you start stretching that out, you've got a lot of work ahead of you if you want to keep the players engaged and invested in the city is that is that number one i already lost track that, <laughs> i that, i think i think those are kind of three all those are three all together. together yeah all right yeah, yeah or maybe it was like eight <laughs> <laughs> so um specific and you touched on this a little bit too but i also wanted since we have an opportunity to talk to uh one of the co-authors of a uh hardback D, &D fully published hardback D, D adventure what are your top three tips for uh a dm that wants to get the most out of running Dragon Heist specifically? That's a really good question. Um, and I hope what I- What do you think I'm doing here? I don't ask bad questions. <laughs> it's it's not Mike Shea's uh, yeah, right. shallow dive. Shallow yeah. BS, you know. Tell me about uh, your poster on your wall. Is that Volos? Is that it is, Volos? Yeah, it's Volos guy. Um, wow, how about that? Well, actually, uh, if as long as we're talking about Volo, uh, I should talk about <laughs> um, the characters that you meet in, uh, well, one, the Yawning Portal, and two, Trollskull Alley. <laughs> um, there are several locations in Waterdeep Dragon Heist that serve as hub areas for player characters to find adventures and return after adventures to divvy out the loot and recover and lick their wounds and all of that. And the Yawning Portal is the first one. Uh, but it is quickly revealed to you that it is not as safe as you might think. Um, I think without spoiling really too much about Dragon Heist, uh, it starts in a tavern and quickly things get heated. Um, but there's a whole page at the back of the book talking about notable personalities in that storied tavern. And if you are a player who really wants to make a home there, you can, and the DM has the resources to do that. Um, but I really want to talk about the place that means the most to me in Dragon Heist, and that's Trollskull Alley. Um, when we were originally creating this book, when we, or, or when we had the uh, uh, story bible, the outline, uh, before any chapters had been formulated, there was this idea that you would sort of find your way into a house, and it would be somewhere in Waterdeep, and you kind of get to get to live there and recover and return there but there wasn't anything surrounding it. And so I have a lot of investment in Trollskull Alley because I created this ecosystem full of NPCs and uh, resources for the players that they could use to uh, quickly interface and learn emotionally what Waterdeep is. There are people from all walks of life, uh, all, uh, all backgrounds and uh, origins in Trollskull Alley. Uh, there are some people who are not humanoids. There are some people who are not from the Sword Coast, right? All of that. And you get to know these people over the course of the adventure or 
that's my hope, at least. Um, I think I think players who are really just kind of gung ho about getting into the adventure and finding you know the MacGuffin and getting to the end of it really lose out on the character of the city and the heart of the adventure if they don't take the time to delve deep and learn about what makes the city and its people tick. And Trollskull Alley is a great place to do that. Yeah, and I, I think the adventure actually specifically describes, I don't know if this was, was your, I mean, I don't know which part comes from which person, so you can tell me if you want, but um, it specifically is designed for you to spend some time there, yeah. right? It, it's not, it's a, it's, it's a short adventure in level range and, and in sort of, you know, the, 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 the seed that's there, but there's an expectation that I think between, I don't know if it's after chapter one, I think it's, or I think it's between or during chapter two, right? Before chapter three, where you might spend months there. Yeah. Right? You, the, yeah. The chapter two. You could have a sort of, a, you know, a quieter moment in your, in your, in your smaller campaign. Yeah. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um, one might be if you suddenly have a change of heart and you want to use a different villain because they're tied to the seasons, you can just sort of advance the clock a little bit. Uh, staying there in your new home and get to summer if you started in winter and you really you really want to use the castle lanterns but you started in winter because you wanted to use Manchun at first you just need to get things going um, and the other reason brings me to my second point and it's use the factions the factions the five factions Lord's Alliance Emerald Enclave Harper's uh, Order of the Gauntlet and Zentarim have been mainstays of the Adventurers League for many years um, but they, and they, they've cropped up, uh, mostly in first level story hooks for the hardcover adventures, but I don't think they have ever been as integral to the heart of a hardcover adventure as they have been in Dragon Heist. And it only makes sense. There are, the city is swarming with faction agents and they all want something. Uh, none of them are quite as gung ho about the, the treasure. The, 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 the cache of dragons that it becomes the, the main thrust of the story, but they're all, they're kind of at each other's throats. There's kind of a little cold war going on and they all have uh, these missions that they can send their members on and will award you renown. And I admit that renown in Waterdeep Dragon Heist isn't quite as deep as I would have liked it to be. This adventure uh, is strapped for pages in certain places, but uh, if you go cross book and you take a quick look at the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, they do renown and faction um, involvement in a really cool way over in that book. And I think you can steal something from Ravnica's guilds and really make the faction system here sing because their missions are fun. They get you involved in the city. There's a talking horse, right? <laughs> there's, there's all sorts of weird stuff. Um, this is, uh, it, it's sad that this got cut in an early draft of Dragon Heist, Strix from Dice Camera Action was in a faction mission. Um, and she's still in the book uh, in the Yawning Portal to a certain degree, but uh, there's all sorts of really neat stuff happening in those faction missions. And when I was playtesting it, I found that uh, it was, a great way to warm up into a session by just having a faction mission begin the session. They last about an hour, maybe two hours if you're really, uh, really riffing, um, but it gets the players warmed up. It makes them feel like they've done something concrete and then they can start sort of noodling around in an endless investigation, this hunt uh, for the MacGuffin if they want to. 
Um, yeah, there's also one of the things I really liked about it is that there are different factions as well. You have those core five, but you also have the Grey Hands, you have Brigand Darth, you have, um, you know, if you want to, like Xanathar. <laughs> there's, there's some other interesting groups. Yeah. That get introduced as well. And I don't know if other people's games went like minded. I, I was in the playtest for it. Oh, and yeah. um, they started with the gray hands and then slowly started making their way over to supporting the Zinterim. Oh. Or not the Zinterim, the, uh, the um, uh, uh, Xanathar's Guild. Oh, yeah. That's even worse. They kind of, yeah, they, 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 they sort of ended up like, well, we'll kind of do. And that, that ended up being some very tense, some tense discussions, both between the Xanathar and um, what's the name of the High Mage? The, Ooh, uh, uh, um, the one that runs. Not Laurel Silverhand, it's Vajra. Yeah, Vajra Black Staff, right? The Black Staff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they had harsh, they had harsh conversations between those two. Like they talk about a rock and a hard place, you know, what cool. you do with them. Um, here's my third and final uh, tip to DMs trying to get the most out of Waterdeep Dragon Heist. And it's feel free to discard anything in the book. Um, I I hold parts of this book near and dear to my heart. They're really precious to me. But uh, I give you permission, and I and nay, I demand of you, don't get precious <laughs> with the text of the book. It's there to serve you and what your group needs. Um, and I have I have gooned myself in the past by trying to stick too closely to the text of an adventure. And in a and in a book like this, in a city adventure like this, where it can, there there are so many deep layers beyond simply what the book is able to provide you, just because of the realities of printing a book. Uh, what you come up with personally and what you riff off of my ideas and James's ideas and Chris's ideas will, I guarantee you, be better than anything we've written uh, purely out of the box. Yeah, and there's a lot of really fun hooks in it. Um, yeah. When I ran uh, Troll Skull Manor, I kind of fell back to uh, Death House and made mm. it haunted, haunted by two different groups, haunted both by, um, you know, the fellow who used to own Troll Skull Manor. This is full of spoilers, by the way. Sorry, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you also mentioned a hag uh, that it had previously been owned by a hag. And I was like, ooh, I'm hanging on to that. And then I had the hag is not dead, right? And she's coming back and she wants her place and she's kind of filling the minds of the people that live there. And the great fun is they spent like this night of horror surviving in Troll Skull for one night. No one has, right? And they had to, you know, all this terrible stuff is happening to them. And then the next day, every one of the NPCs from all of the rest of Troll Skull Alley showed up with a fruit basket, right? And like <laughs> each, each time they'd kind of walk in and, and the, the party's all like gray skinned and their eyes are all bloodshot. And they're like, well, we brought you a fruit basket, you know? So I love it. Yeah. And then and I felt, I felt particularly, I, so the hard part is I was play testing it. So I was like, well, I can't deviate too much. Like the whole point is whether or not this thing works. Um, but there was still a fair amount of deviation. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I felt very free with this one to, to do that. You know, it, 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 there were lots of openings and lots of, I think a good adventure has a lot of hooks that a DM can get excited about. Um, and this one had that, you know, I had lots of different areas where I was like, oh, that, I think it'd be really fun if I did this, you know, like that idea of sort of turning into a one night haunted house at Troll Skull Manor or yeah. uh, just all through it, you know. Yeah, so really steal time. that idea, y'all. Steal the. <laughs> well, come up with your own. That was mine. <laughs> you know, come out, come out with your own. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so you touched on it a little bit in your previous questions um, uh, as well. Um, 
on the on the order like what makes running city-based adventure like from a dm's perspective how do we prepare to run a city adventure that's that's different from a, a normal adventure and, and normal you know a non-city-based adventure mm -hmm. i guess either a wilderness adventure or a dungeon-focused adventure if we're gonna if we're gonna narrow it to three big groups and there's probably lots of ones in between um what do you think you know what's different about preparing for a city-based adventure than than another another kind I think before I get into what's different, I think I want to identify at least a couple of things that are the same. Sure. Um, because that'll, that'll give us a nice distinction. Uh, the things that are the same about a city-based adventure and any other adventure is that uh, there are encounters. Like just because you're in a city, it doesn't mean you're constantly in role-playing mode. Uh, it, if you're wandering down the street, you can randomly bump into a group of hooligans. Or maybe you will uh, find a random encounter that is not hostile to you. I think that's the great thing about city adventures is that there is, uh, more, there's a more clearly defined space for you not to just have to fight things. But on the other hand, uh, if you don't fight anything, uh, you could be playing a game that isn't D&D. You could be playing a game that is uh, a purely storytelling or narrative game. Um, and finding the middle ground of those two ideals of D&D, or, or the three pillars, really, the social pillar, the exploration pillar, the combat pillar, um, is where any adventure, including a city adventure, really shines. Um, so your goal is the same, to make the three pillars sing in the way they want to. Um, your approach has to be different. Um, a city like Waterdeep lends itself really well to social encounters because generally speaking, everyone there isn't trying to kill you. It's got a million people in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, there, there's so many people you can socialize with. Um, and in fact, that can almost be overwhelming for the dungeon master. If you're out in Deserin Valley in Princes of the Apocalypse, uh, odds are the only social encounters you're going to have are in towns that are separated by vast amounts of wilderness. Uh, or, you know, at most you'll have like a traveling caravan or, or a, a group of orcs that you decide to parlay with after, you know, kind of showing them that you're the toughest around. Um, and if you can distinguish these uh, individual people into distinct encounters, uh, that will save you as a dungeon master a lot of headache and it will make your, uh, make your prep easier. Um, the exploration factor is different in approach too, but it's, it's equal in scope. Um, Waterdeep is separated into many different neighborhoods called wards, and each one of these wards has a distinct feel and character to them. The trades ward is what it sounds like. It's a grand merchant district. The north ward is kind of this sleepy suburban upper class, middle upper class uh, area. Uh, the sea ward is a very hoity-toity noble area, but just beneath it in the dock ward uh, is, is poverty-stricken, filled with street urchins and sailors and even a couple of supernatural uh, haunts around there too. And if you can key into the character of a given uh, region. Uh, every now and then I go back to my uh, World of Warcraft thinking and just think of them as zones. Like that's one thing that uh, computer games do really well is that every, uh, in, in a really good video game, every area has a super distinct feel 
in, in Warcraft, for instance, now since I'm thinking about it, uh, you go from Elwyn Forest to, uh, to Black Rock Mountain and you know, you'll go three feet, but as suddenly the entire color palette changes. It's not realistic, even in the little bit, but it's super heightened. And if you as a DM can tune into that heightened reality, then um, you will get it across to your players. You will communicate well with them. Um, that's something I found as a DM is that you have to really heighten what you're saying. You can't rely on subtlety and nuance too much because the, the players aren't reading your mind. The nuance gets lost in translation a lot of the time. If you can be big and bold and brash and have big ideas and big colors, then every one of those neighborhoods will make distinct sense and they will remember what's special about each one. And you won't have to exposit all the time. Yeah, bringing up WoW is an interesting, an interesting thought too, because one of the things that it does is when you start at level one, you are in a very, very tiny city. It's not even yeah. a city. It's like, it's like three NPC. <laughs> three houses, yeah. <laughs> teaching, you, teaching you how to stab, you know, stab boars, you know, yeah. kobolds with candles on their heads. Mm -hmm. and uh it and then the quest sort of leads you to the bigger city and like it's 10th to 15th 20 i think it's about 15th ish level right something like 10th, that yeah where you before you step into one of the bigger cities and then it's big and you're going to spend some time figuring that place out mm -hmm. um and I, I i wonder how well that translates to you know thinking about dragon heist like the nice thing about like you're in the yawning portal and then you're running around a, a bit and then you end up in Troll Skull, and like kind of everything you need is in that alley, like one alley in this giant city. Mm -hmm. You know, you can sort of get used to these people and 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 you know spend your time there. And I think that that idea of sort of restricting the area uh, can help, and and sort of letting the players make those zone shifts. Right, mm -hmm. that the city yeah. of the dead is very different than you know the castle ward. Yeah, and uh, going back to those faction missions I talked about earlier. Uh, you're absolutely right. Trollskull Alley basically is a is such a good nexus that you probably you don't really have to leave it other than to go to specific adventure locations. As a DM, you can use those faction missions to push the characters out of their comfort zone and into places of the city they might not have seen before. Uh, as it stands in the adventure, the players have no reason at all to go to the field ward north of the city. But the field ward's really interesting. It's the newest part of the city. Uh, it's basically unincorporated uh, because it was settled by uh, people in poverty. Uh, after the spell plague, a lot of people were homeless and they kind of gathered around the north end of Waterdeep and it became a brand new ward of the city. And it's got all the, the problems and growing pains that you would expect of it. But because this adventure is all about intrigue and mystery, there's never a pressing reason to go there, but there are faction missions that will send you out there and give you a different flavor of Waterdeep so you can uh, you can appreciate the other parts too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I have one last tip before we go on. Yeah. Uh, and this, it's kind of two in one, but it's about people. Uh, whenever you are approaching a new area in Waterdeep, have in your mind two characters at least. I mean, you know, if, in an ideal world, you'd have a bunch. Uh, all ready to go. But if you are caught off guard or you had 10 minutes to prep, I would say find the most uh, interesting person or the friendliest person to the characters. Know 
know their name, know what they do, someone that the players can use as a resource or as a guide or as a savior for them. And also think of the most powerful person in that region. And generally the most powerful, powerful person does not want their power being upset by a bunch of uh, second level hooligans. And they will tend to gravitate into, if not a villainous role, then at least an antagonistic one. And that gives you a little bit of a, a push and pull when your players are going somewhere that you might not have had a lot of time to prep for. So let's, yeah, let's, let's tug on that a little bit. Um, Cause I'm, I'm a very, very lazy dungeon master and I'm always looking to try to find the most efficient area to spend prep on. So that idea of like focus on those two characters, the one that can be most helpful to the player characters and also the most powerful one who can act as a, I guess, sort of like a pillar, right? Mm -hmm. Like a good or evil, but you kind of know like, oh, okay, Blackstaff, right? Blackstaff yeah. being a good, you know, she's not going to put up with your shit, but she'll, you know, you, you know that she's there. Yeah. Um, I think that that could be, uh, even like Durnan and Volo, right? Like Durnan's pretty powerful. He's mm -hmm. probably, you know, he's run that bar forever, kind of. Not yeah. going to take any shit from you guys. Yeah, yeah, right. And and even in that bar, you have him and you have Volo, right? And and Volo, I guess, counts as a helpful guy. He'll tell you a lot. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna lose a little talk. amount of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're gonna you're gonna end up with a book you didn't want in your hand. But mm -hmm. you know, he he could certainly be that. He'll certainly answer the questions. What are what are some other highly efficient areas of prep that we can do when we're running a city based campaign? This is, an, this is a challenging question to answer because of the kind of maximalism. Is it, is it still of a, a city good question like the other one? <laughs> no, it's, it's a bad question, yeah. Mike. No, it's a very good question. It's a, it's a tough one to answer uh, because by its very nature, cities are densely packed and it can be difficult to distinguish uh, the forest from the trees uh, and, and tease out those little details that are most salient um, because in an ideal world you kind of want to give the players that sense of being overwhelmed like if you just walk out of the subway system in new york city and you walk onto the streets suddenly you are hit by a, a wall of sound you are being jostled every which way by a billion people you've never met and there is music playing from three different speakers and a guy carrying a boombox, and and uh you kind of want that disorientation and yet, because you're playing a role-playing game, you want the players to be able to fixate in on what's actually important in a scene. And that, I guess that's my biggest piece of advice for DMs who are going to do this sort of thing is always know what is most important in a scene. And that can, you know, if you want to talk, talk about it from like an actor's point of view, uh, it comes down to motivation, right? What is your, what is your NPC want? What do the characters want? How do those come into conflict? Um, I had the chance to talk with Jeremy Crawford uh, at PAX Unplugged, and he said something very, very interesting to me when we were talking about Acquisitions Incorporated. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but he said uh, he never really runs traditional dungeon crawls, but his game sessions are nevertheless almost always plotted out like a dungeon. Uh, they're plotted out in flowcharts of scenes instead of dungeon rooms. And if you can think of uh, a couple of scenes uh, that you want to happen in your adventure and you are able to route to them 
via several different ways. Like you have a five room dungeon and there are hallways that route from room to room. You can think of a, a five room story, a five scene story and have different story paths that route from beat to beat. And if you can keep that in mind, uh, then you will avoid getting lost in the minutia and the overwhelmingness of the big city. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that idea of what's the, you know, why are we doing this, right? Like, like yeah. what's the focus of any particular scene? What's the goal of that scene? And keeping that in mind and then letting the rest of the, the, the flavor sort of spell its way out. Um, one of the things that I, I very much love about Dragon Heist, um, not to give you a big head or anything, um, is the, um, what is it called? The Enchiridion, the, the, the Waterdeep Enchiridion, the whole oh, back yes. chapter. Um, that just don't, don't worry about giving me a big head on that one. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> right, yeah. um, I think Matt Cernet and Chris Perkins probably worked on yes, that. Yes, Matt Cernet was the man behind that one. Yeah, and um, it's a nice, relatively short guide to Waterdeep um, that covers a lot of the really interesting bits of it, you know, mm -hmm. from the point of view of Volo. And one of the things that I have found... Um, that is definitely worth the time and also is very enjoyable anyway um, in preparing something is reading, reading a lot, right? And that idea of just like spend the time before running Dragon Heist to read that chapter mm -hmm. and sort of and soak in Waterdeep, you know, just, just, just sort of be there for a little while and then let that sort of drive the details, you know, when you need them at the game. You know, I, 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 I didn't do that because I didn't read the Entridium when I ran the playtest. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if it was there yet. It might have been there, but mm, it, it, it wasn't there when I was working on yeah, it. Yeah, so, so maybe there. not. But I read it. I read it uh, since then, and um, I'm going to be running the adventure again, um, probably early next year for another. Yeah, game. that's and that's a really good that, point. Having that in my head will, you know, because, having all that kind of stuff in my head really is really helpful. Right. Yeah. When I was running sort of the the alpha playtest while I was writing it, I found that. I could improvise a lot because I had forced myself to become a master of Waterdeep. Mm -hmm. uh, I could, if nothing else, I could give you kind of a, a two-sentence description of each and every ward in Waterdeep. And I, if I didn't know it by heart, I knew in the book where I could find an NPC that was of some importance there. And so it kind of seems counter to the, the lazy strategy uh, to like go ahead and, and memorize some stuff. But if you can... If you can get in the the headspace of Waterdeep, if you can kind of know by touch your way around the city even a little bit, then you'll suddenly find that you can you can improvise all sorts of things, uh, and that prep, long laborious hours of writing stuff down on paper uh, melts away just by having read that stuff. You're totally right. Yeah, and, and there's I think there's at least two previous. Um, supplements that are available on the dms guild hmm. for earlier versions of Waterdeep, mm -hmm. um and um I, I i dug into those a bit and they're pretty paralyzing in their levels of detail like you know they have like you know 500 you know places yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's they they really they they were exhaustive and one of the things i think that dragon heist does well with the entridian is like let's not let's not overdo it you mm -hmm. know and uh, and and you mentioned you mentioned uh, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, which I also think is doing a good job at this. Is like yeah. here's a here's a city that's the size of a planet, you know, that overtakes an entire planet. We're gonna focus on the tenth district. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna put 
And by the way, here's like, you know, one place for each guild that you can mm -hmm. kind of use if you're going to run into that guild, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought that that sort of micro, you know, macro to micro view was really useful and not something that I had seen in sort of older second edition era products. Um, and I think it can help. I think that that helps a lot, particularly, you know, yeah. when, when time is a factor. And on the flip side of that coin, I know there are people who are like, there's not enough water deep in Dragon Heist. And I'm like, oh, sure, that's fair. But yeah, there's also okay, the like, yeah. like two gigantic source books about it that already exist and they're right. like, five bucks in pdf and i think like yeah i think i think we we undervalue that old content right we, we think like well it's not fifth edition but it's like it, there's no difference right i mean it's like it's 100 <laughs> years right but it's the, the the fact that it's set 100 years earlier is far more of a potential issue mm -hmm. than that it was written for first or second edition instead of fifth edition a because yeah. the difference between first and second and fifth is not as extreme as we think mm -mm. you know and and um yeah, they're, 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 you know, I'd say the only difference is like clearly a, a product like Dragon Heist has benefited from 40 years of experience writing these kinds of products that yeah. those older products did not have. They, they, <laughs> they went verbose. Yeah. You know, and many times they went verbose and dense mm -hmm. uh, vice, you know, like, like taking that sort of macro to micro, you know, view that, that a, a book like Ravnica. So uh, have, you, have you read the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica? Yes, uh, not in its entirety, uh, but I've read through that 10th District stuff and the part on my guild. I'm playing in a Ravnica game right now at my local game shop. Playing are you a lot running or you're, you're playing one? I'm or? playing in it. It's the first okay. game I've played in, in a That's long nice. time. I'm super happy about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm playing this Loxodon Paladin because I, I needed to just dive right into what made Ravnica Ravnica, right? Sure. Uh, and so I read, I read what I needed to to know about me. I read about the 10th district, the, the core gameplay area, and I read about my guild. And right. suddenly I've got a great idea of who I am in the world, what the world means to me, and how I can interface with other people. Has, and has, it took me like half an hour. Yeah, you yeah, know? Right, yeah. <laughs> it's a great book, yeah. Um, uh, have any of your experiences playing in that game given you any thoughts about how city games differ from normal ones? Are there either things you're seeing, you know, not to, you know, not to shine a light on your 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 group if um, in a bad light but is there anything you like you wish had been happening that isn't oh i couldn't tell you anything about that we've only played one session so <laughs> oh, okay yeah. uh but you know when well at the exact same time that i was writing dragon heist i was also working on a book for kobold press that was the zobeck gazetteer their oh, own yeah. fantasy metropolis in the midgard campaign setting yeah so that that summer that i was writing i was just embroiled in city adventures of, of very much the same sort of high fantasy milieu. Um, and what can I say about it? Uh, it is, hmm. Would you, would you pose the question to me again? <laughs> is that yeah, okay? so particularly with Ravnica, have you seen anything in playing Ravnica? But now you brought up Zobek, so I want to hear about that mm -hmm. too. Are there, you know, because that gives you like this interesting triangulation of different cities. You got, you spent a lot of time in Waterdeep, right? Mm -hmm. You've spent, now you've touched on Ravnica a little bit, but you also spent a lot of time in, in Zobek. Um, have your experience in, the, in, have your experiences with Zobek and with uh, Ravnica given you any other thoughts about um, you know, what you want from a city-based adventure, you know, did they, 
did anything leap out to you? Like, I actually am just reading about Zobag. I'm not reading the guest here. I don't, you know, I'm not going to read. I've read enough of your stuff. Right. <laughs> but um, I'm reading the Midgard campaign source book as yeah. one of the other. And that's, that's, that's a dense book. I know, it's huge. Book. <laughs> right. It's got like four. Yeah, I got the big collector's one with the four bookmarks in it. And I'm yeah. using all four. But um, yeah, so that's my, that's my before bed reading is the, <laughs> you know, Ravnica's like early uh, e evening reading. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to read like all of these different kinds of cities and what they and and what they all have to offer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really have Zobek, Zobek goes from like small metropolis, sort of uh, more grounded. It's it, I mean, yeah. Zobek's got twenty thousand people in it, right? It feels like a medieval city writ large. Right. Uh, Waterdeep is, uh, you know, it feels more like uh, not Rome, but a big Renaissance era Italian city with that sort of. Uh, level of wealth and prosperity and technological development and Ravnica's is, you know, Coruscant from yeah, Star Wars. Right, um, right. And that alone, that sense of scale has really given me a perspective that I, I didn't have when I first got the, uh, you know, the emails that let's do Dragon Heist. Because mm -hmm. um, I just, I dove into Waterdeep and I was like, okay, cool. So it's a big city. I think about it like New York. Um, yeah. But that is really important to me now when running city adventures is to truly impress upon my players the sense of scale uh, that the city brings about. Um, because in normal D&D play, uh, the most you're usually going to get is a little village. You'll get Red Larch or Phandalin or something like that. And I think a big mistake I made when starting Dragon Heist is I, I failed to really differentiate between a dinky hamlet and the big city uh, I, I managed to course correct and get there and sort of and make them feel as though they were in something larger and that something was always going on just off camera um, but it's a tough act to pull off I think if you can think of every single ward in Waterdeep I keep coming back to this breaking it up into into it's chunks own... yeah if you can think of them all as a, their own little city right. uh, then you can and you have sort of just an inkling, not a full-blown prep or a full-blown full, full idea about like what's going on. Uh, did the NPC that they met in the dock ward the other day, uh, has she gone about her business and has her action uh, affected another ward? And has that spiraled out into another action, another ward? If you can show them that actions in one part of the city can explode into new actions in another a more distant part of the city, then they have this sense that, oh, damn, there's a butterfly effect at play here. Yeah. Wolfgang Bauer calls it stacking powder kegs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that I like that expression a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this sort of chain reaction of events. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, this question came up. We're, we're going to come to uh, questions that are in our Twitch chat and that were posted on Twitter earlier, but I had one that I don't think was related to our conversation. I don't think you and I had scheduled this yet. Mm. Um, where somebody asks specifically about how to handle high-level characters in a city. Mm. Um, that, you know, the, you, you hit this riskier time. You talked about the law, right? Like, that, like one of the structures of a city that's sort of important to keep track of. And I know it has a, 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 pretty, prominent, uh, a pretty, pretty prominent role in Dragon Heist mm -hmm. um, are the laws that take place. Um, and Waterdeep is probably one of the few cities that could handle rogue high-level characters. Yeah. Right? There's enough you know high level npcs managing uh water deep that they could you know probably mm -hmm. probably take you on 
I think. Um, but in general, what can you do to keep the interest of high-level characters in a city like that? High-level characters in the city like that, it's a, it's a matter of, well, what interests high-level characters, period. Um, D&D, if you look at the Dungeon Master's Guide, kind of assumes that by that point, the characters are off exploring the planes or doing stuff like that. So how do you uh, capture the excitement of exploring the planes and creating demi-planes and making your wildest dreams come true? and fit that into a place like a city. And- I suppose you could do what our, what our friend James Intercasso does, which is release 100 Tarasks. <laughs> well, uh, that's actually, that's not a bad idea. If you really want to amp up the stakes, go ahead and release the Tarasks. Waterdeep is fully equipped to yeah. handle stuff like that. I mean- <laughs> It's got those statues. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dragon Heist is like a one to five adventure, but the back of the book, has, uh, I would say the monsters included in the book are more often than not above CR 10. Yeah, right. Uh, there's this, there are like nine CR 18 walking statues hanging around. Laryl <laughs> Silverhand is practically an epic level character. Uh, Manchun is walking around with ninth level spells. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a potential for just utter annihilation for a tiny low level party that goes in there, mm -hmm. uh, which means that even though Dragon Heist as an adventure is not um perfectly suited for high level play uh, there is enough in there to serve as a toolbox for you mm -hmm. oh and and while we're talking about it i want to touch on the villains layers there mm -hmm. are four yeah. chapters right kind of in the back of dragon heist that are these dungeons that are uh really in no way level appropriate mm -hmm. to the characters that should be going in there uh manchun like i said crazy high level wizard yeah. uh, the xanathar is a beholder with like three very rare magic items hanging yeah. about. Uh, and, the, and, you know, it, it goes on and on. Uh, everyone, if you tried to face him directly, would just kick your butt. Right. Uh, and so. Yeah, Charlaxel. Yeah, let's yeah, go take on Charlaxel. Yeah, Charlaxel is so decked out in magic items, he needs a special <laughs> ability to let him attune to more than yeah, three. Right. <laughs> He's the only guy that can attune more than three magic items. Yeah, and so it, it changes the way you play. Uh, in a situation like that. In low-level Dragon Heist, you find yourself wheeling and dealing. You trade in intrigue and in stealth and deception when you're entering places like that. But when you're high-level, you could probably run it with a little bit of tweaking like an actual dungeon crawl. You want to beat up the, uh, the Xanathar? Go for it. Yeah, you could take that's, on that's high level water deep. Yeah, you, yeah. you take on one of the greatest dark wizards ever to uh, right. grace the face of Faerun. Yeah. And in his case, you're not like totally breaking the game because it's like, well, it's a clone. Yeah. <laughs> or, or in that case, is it a simulacrum? I can't remember. Um, so, so okay, I'm going to get deep into weeds of Forgotten Realms lore sure. here. Yeah. But I know so, about the Manchun and the Clone Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are plenty of Manchun, of Manchun simulacrums running right. around. Um, and there used to be a ton of Manchun clones running around. But there are only three Manchun clones in the world now. One of them is in Waterdeep. And the other two... Uh, are off who knows where. Right. One is completely unknown for DMs to do with whatever they want. One, right. I think, is a vampire. Yeah, it's a vampire mansion. Yeah. With a totally different name. Yeah, he's he's just messed up somewhere else. Or something, um, yeah. And there is another mansion clone out somewhere in the wild ether for any DM to do with as they please. And so you can suddenly find yourself going on a wild quest that the DM makes up uh, if you decide you want to put the hurt on Manchun. Is the Waterdeep Manchun the one that is in... Dragon Heist? Yes. Okay. 
Yes, um, and Batman Shun actually has a bit of a history with Halister Blackcloak down in Undermountain. Mm -hmm. um, so if you really want to get the sort of duel of the fates thing going on, um, <laughs> those two wizards, they don't like each other. What if, they, what if they joined up? I know. Oh, my God. If they put their differences aside, you would be screwed. It would be over. <laughs> Them and some friends. Yeah. Right. That's mm. awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, th that idea of, of sort of taking those four. Um, so, water. Yeah. Like I said, like Waterdeep is sort of an anomaly because I could actually see some high level challenges in that city because it is such a vast city that it's, mm -hmm. it's going to have, um, you know, I mean, if you decide, well, we're going to go take down the Xanathar. You, you probably want to be relatively high level to be able to go do that. It's not like mm -hmm. he's down there by himself. Um, yeah, so I could definitely, uh, and that, that idea, and then again, we get back to, hey, there's a big hole that goes down to an infinitely large dungeon. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do whatever you want down there. You know, yeah. there's, we have Dungeon of the Mad Mage that has level 20 adventures in it. So. And that's a bit of a cheat answer, but, you know, just go do another adventure. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, I mean, if you're running, like, level 20 content, Dungeon of the Mad Mage is, is it the only published 5e adventure that yeah. goes up to level 20? Yeah. yeah. Then if you're running content that high anyway, you just want that book to mm -hmm. pilfer from. You right. want to have Alistair Blackcloak in your back pocket just to pull out and use against those, those doggone 20th level characters. Right, right. Yeah, maybe he hijacks the walking statues of Waterdeep. Oh my god. Right? Then it's a kaiju movie, right? right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the criticisms that Dragon Heist got was that it isn't actually a heist. Right. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about that? I wouldn't I don't describe it that way, but others other others out have. there that I've heard yeah. we're describing it that way. Mm -hmm. Um do you think we're thinking about it incorrectly? So Dragon Heist is an adventure that has some small heists in it right in the middle of the book it's sort of the the mid game turning point you you put you either run an assault on a manor or you try and sneak in and pull a heist to get a uh, a macguffin that i won't spoil any further than we've already spoiled the adventure um and there is a a little bit of heisting there but when it comes to the actual dragons the the, the gold coins for which the adventure is named yeah uh the heist aspect there uh is a little bit uh lacking is a bit harsh but it, it, there isn't really a heist there um you can kind of everyone's a, trying to get it right exactly <laughs> yeah it's kind of a kind of a 32 nascar pileup yeah um, but here's where I would describe uh, the heist as being down to uh, the dungeon master and the circumstances of the adventure. The adventure doesn't give you a roadmap saying, this is how you do a heist in Dungeons and Dragons. I think, I think the circumstances of any individual heist come down so hard on what the players do that it would be, it would be next to impossible to write it out in a little flowchart for a dungeon master. Like if you watch Ocean's Eleven, it's not some narrator deciding how the heist goes. It is the it is essentially the player characters of that movie uh, doing their own reconnaissance, figuring out where the pressure points of their location is, where the treasure is stashed, and how to circumvent all of those little fiddly bits. And we're going to come back to the villain layers. Those four chapters that are far too high level for anyone actually playing Dragon Heist to stomp through. And if you look at those carefully, those 
are the heist locations. One of them, and, and they're, they're all set in perfect heist uh, setups. One is a James Bond style evil submarine. <laughs> One of them is a noble manner in which a grand gala ball is happening and so on and so forth. Uh, and during the course of the adventure, you may go to these places and you can you know, notice you know, where the security is, where the gold can be stashed, where anything can happen. And if, if, you're, and if you are a player and you're observant, then you will have everything you need to do to pull off a successful heist if, and I really suggest the DM gun for this, if you're playing your villains to the hilt DMs, they will get the object of interest, the MacGuffin, before the players do, and the heist will come out of that. But it, it, it's not a mandated heist. It's not a railroaded heist. It's a heist that needs to come out naturally over the course of gameplay. And that's where D&D shines anyway. Yeah. Um, I have so many different things that I want to ask, but I also want to give uh, some time to our fine audience uh, who has asked some questions. Uh, we are here, as always, with our guardian angel, Rudy Basso. Uh, Rudy looks over all these questions and picks the absolute best ones. Thank uh, you, Rudy. Rudy. Yes. Rudy, what questions Hello. do you have for us tonight? Yes. First one from Alpha Stream on Twitter. Also, he's in chat. Hi. No, no, I said good questions. Oh, what a scoundrel <laughs> you are, Mike. Uh, How can we help players and their characters feel like the city is their home? Um. I want to go back to uh, something I touched on earlier, and that's uh, about Trollskull Alley. And, you know, that is literally their home, right? You can say, here's your home. You live in this place. Here's the city. You're home now. And, you know, show, don't tell. First rule of writing. Uh, Trollskull Alley is intentionally packed full of people who the players are, you know, they're kind of designed, they're lab grown for people to fall in love with. They have endearing traits. They have ways that they can be useful and sympathetic to the PCs, and they have ways to get on the PCs' nerves too, because uh, a good friend always gets on your nerves <laughs> a little bit. You have to you have to work for the friendship. Um, and over the course of uh, of cordiality and a little bit of antagonism, your players will develop a relationship with uh, with characters who hopefully they will begin to see at least a little bit uh, as real people. And once they start developing those relationships, they will feel like they're home. Yeah, I like that idea that that home is where the people are. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Rudy, what other questions do you have for us? From Johnny Utah 99 in chat. I find it overwhelming creating my own city from scratch, not from D&D lore. How many locations should I give the players when introducing it? Should I let them do the heavy lifting with world building a city? Good, good question. That's James. an option. Yeah, um, letting the players do the heavy lifting is is always a good idea if you think your players like will be interested. If you just tell your players make a location for me and they don't give a crap, then you're wasting your time, <laughs> right? The Corporal Sword Store. <laughs> They're having a sale. <laughs> Oh. buy to get one free vorpal sword store <laughs> yeah uh this is uh i don't want to give you a cop-out answer like as much as you think you need um <laughs> eight yeah just say eight <laughs> um okay here's what i'll say and it's the same answer that i would give to someone who's thinking of building a fantasy world or a campaign setting from scratch and uh what I would tell them is I would build your first village first, build as much as you need 
for your first adventure. And once you have enough for your first adventure, build enough for your second adventure and build enough for your third adventure. And by the time you're, you're doing that, I think your brain will start firing in ways that you will have a little untapped ideas, loose threads that will cause one, your players to think there's more than what you've described naturally. And two, it'll be fun for you to pull on and see where they go. Um, and so you will, you will sort of self-perpetually create everything you need from there. Uh, as long as you don't try and overcommit yourself. You try and spread yourself too thin, uh, none of it will be good and you'll, run out of, and you'll run out of ideas and you'll have a bad time. But if you build as much as you want, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll fall back too on your on you demanding that we, you know, that we build our own adventures from your from your material. That mm -hmm. you know, you can reskin anything. Yeah. And there's a lot of fantasy cities out there that other people have spent a lot of time making. Take one, you know, turn the map upside down, or do a mirror flip on it, and no one will know. And yeah. you call it something new, and everyone will think you built a really rich city. Yeah, and and here uh, we can give you some examples. If you want low fantasy cities, uh, cities go for Zobek. Yeah. Cool Press's Zobek Gazetteer. I wrote that book. It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, if you want big fantasy metropolis, there's there's Waterdeep. Steel yeah. Waterdeep. Now you got two, right? Now you yeah. can like take the tenth district from Ravnica if you want to. Exactly. High. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them out there, and even even just stealing a map. Like I think maps are probably one of the easiest things to just sort of steal and run with. Yeah, that uh, stealing a map and starting with that and just filling in the locations you think are going to be, you know, of interest to the characters or, or interesting. Mm -hmm. so I think that can work really well. Yeah. And there's a million more. I mean, we could be here all day listing off well-detailed fantasies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sigil, uh, Tolis from Monty Cook's setting. Uh, Dark Sun. And yeah. Oh, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, pick up any campaign setting Charm. off the shelf and you'll find <laughs> a big capital city. Yeah. From Eberron. From Eberron. Yeah. Yeah um rudy what else you got so this is we were talking beforehand you said you found you heard this i think mike in a conversation but how do you approach players owning property in a city uh, how do you balance them wanting to uh spend time there and also moving them with hooks and getting them involved in the adventure yeah and and also uh if it's the same question that i saw um also where what are some good mechanics for them running a place Mm. I might have mixed two questions together. Um, I expanded on the question a little bit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> let's, I guess let's start with the second half first. Mechanics for running a location. Um, like a business. Like a business. Like in, in Waterdeep Dragon Heist, it's not unlikely that you will find yourself in possession of a place that could be a business. Um, one, there are mechanics in it in Dragon Heist for it. And there's mechanics in the Dungeon Master's Guide to 5th Edition for it. And those are pretty abstract, right? They're pretty much, you know, a 10-day goes by and you roll a die and stuff happens. And that is enough for some people. It's enough for me. I, I don't want to go more in-depth than that. But <laughs> it's not granular enough for some people. I mean, if you want the real, real role-play experience of doing a, a hard day's work in a tavern, uh, you can you can figure that out, but I'm I'm not the right person to ask. <laughs> I don't want to do that uh, in my role playing game. Uh, so, uh, sorry, I'm not the person to ask about that one. <laughs> yeah, about, about detail mechanics. Yeah, yeah, right. The, you know, the answer of as as many as you uh, as much as you need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, work. and uh, I mean the most detailed mechanic uh, of all is just role play it out. Mm -hmm. Just just do it. 
and uh, and come up with something on your own. Uh, if, if you think you had a great interaction with a with a customer in your tavern, then they pay you know a little bit extra. They give you a big tip, and you can do that for every single customer you have in a day. Right. <laughs> That's as granular as you're going to get. Right. Um, of of the cities you've worked on, what what would you say is your or the cities you worked on, the cities that you've played in and read about? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll I'll I'll, I'll make you you know, I'll give you Sophie's choice. Like which, which one do you like the most? Oh, okay. Let's lay out my options in front of me. I'll give you at least two. You, you worked on Zobek and you worked yeah. on Waterdeep. Zobek and Waterdeep, <laughs> of course. I did a little bit of Sharn in an Adventures okay. League bit for everyone. Yeah. And I had my fingers in a bunch of different cities uh, in the critical role setting when I was doing that book. Right. And Oh my gosh, I have to give you such a such a weird answer. The favorite city I've ever had the opportunity to work on is one that was scrapped in the publication of Dragon Heist. And it was really? Skullport. Oh yeah. Well, it's well, in Mad Mage. Well, it is, but it's not at all the Skullport that I wrote. <laughs> it's, not my, it's not my Skullport. It's not, it's not, it's not my Skullport. Uh, because <laughs> at the end of fourth edition DD, or or at the beginning of fourth edition DD, the spell plague wrecked shop. A Skullport was crushed under thousands of tons of rock as uh, bits of Undermountain collapsed and it was abandoned and completely empty. And between 4th edition and 5th edition, it is up and running again. And there's no record at all of how that happened. And the Skullport presented in Dungeon of the Mad Mage is uh, pretty Spartan. It's presented like a dungeon, um, which is perfectly suited for what Dungeon of the Mad Mage needs. Um, I wrote a big section on Skullport for Dragon Heist of how to get to the Xanathar's lair. And the Skullport I envisioned was this very glitzy, uh, sort of Las Vegas meets 1984 sort of totalitarian state where the Xanathar has these big uh, propaganda posters looming on every street corner and you can see his palace perched atop the rubble of old Skullport. And there was always uh, sort of neon light magical torches pouring out of uh, gambling dens and fest halls and other sorts of uh, skeevy establishments. And you had to kind of weave your way in, wheeling and dealing in the same sort of intrigue that you had going in Waterdeep Dragon Heist in order to get through the city because it's full of like mind flayers and Yuanti and super powerful drow and you wouldn't last five seconds uh, in there as your fourth level characters if you were trying to uh, bash your way through but if you you know if you're trying to be uh sewer rats going through then you might live um and i was really sad to see that Skullport go but i understand why uh this book uh, had to shed some pages in order to give them to mad mage right this page this book was originally conceived as 256 pages it's something like 220 now and mad mage is a, a 300 page monster it's enormous uh, yeah. right and I think the Skullport they did for Mad Mage uh, is exactly like what that book needed, but I, I dearly miss the Skullport I made for Waterdeep. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, hey, there's an opportunity for the DMs Guild. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, I'm sure you're not busy. You know? <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Yeah, yeah, something's going on. Yeah, and if nothing else, it always- James, ha- James Hake's Skullport. Yeah, and you know, if absolutely nothing else, it lives on in my campaign setting. Right. I don't, I don't need to publish every good idea I have. I, I, I never could. 
That's funny. I'm like, if I have a good idea, I publish it. If it's otherwise, <laughs> I'm stealing good ideas from my game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, James, it has been a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful time with you tonight. I really appreciate you uh, spending spending time with all of us to to talk about city based adventures. Um, again, love love uh, love your work and uh, uh, have have used some of it already and will be using it again uh, very shortly. So nice. so thank you for all that and I. I uh can't wait to see what you bring over the years to come you know i i often talk about you and i'm like you know here's all this thing did and he's like he's like 19. <laughs> I know you're not, 19. not that young <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like we might have this guy for like 30 years yeah you know? think of what we're gonna have in the future well i i hope you do i hope i hope <laughs> i've got 30 more good years of game design in me <laughs> If not, um, we'll all meet at a at a at a bar and, at Con and like, yeah. man, all these young kids. Man. <laughs> so, no, really well, appreciate your time with us tonight. And thank uh, you so much, Mike. Yeah. You're so kind to me. It's great talking to you sure. uh, and answering the questions of chat and everyone around here. So, where where can people find you and uh, and 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 what are the big things you you mentioned a little bit about the big things you're working on? What do you want people to aim towards now? Yes. Uh, so you can always find me on Twitter at James J Hake. Uh, I, I waste a lot of time there. I post uh, announcements about every new thing I do there. Um, right now, my big projects are I'm working as the lead writer at D&D Beyond. Uh, so all of the article content that you'll see on D&D Beyond's front page, if it's not by Mike Shea, it's by me. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I think we could do a statistical look about how many of them are Mike Shea and how many are James Hake. And probably- Well, well for the next month, at least, uh, half of them are going to be Mike's. Uh, he's got some good <laughs> stuff coming up there. Uh, and frankly, I've got some good stuff coming up too. I really hope you take a look at it. Um, I am DMing a D&D adventure show called Worlds Apart. It is only on YouTube. It is not streamed at all. It is edited kind of like a video podcast, just the way I like. I don't like any dead air in my shows. <laughs> um, and I am doing it in my own personal campaign setting. It's all, all original ideas with some Cobalt Press monsters thrown in there for good measure. I have a lot of fun making it. I think you'll have a lot of fun watching it. Uh, YouTube.com slash worlds apart. You'll find it right there. Um, and those are my two big uh, is that, ideas. Is that a cat? Do I hear a cat? I'm being visited. Got to see the cat. Marcy. Here she comes. Oh, Goodbye. Look at hey. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Thank Goodbye. you so much. Yeah, Rudy, thank you very much, as always, for putting all this together. And thanks to everyone in chat and everyone for tuning in. Yeah. Everyone have a great night. Bye.